Alright, let's get started here. So, welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. Not this week. I'm your host, Caitlin. <laughs> and I'm your host, Jen. And this week, we're geeking out. Yay! Yay! I think that was a lie. You're yay. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. When I chose this subject matter, I didn't think Jen would stress out about it so much, and Caitlin has a healthy, do- do- uh, a healthy dose of guilt. <laughs> Don't feel guilty about this, Kate. I just this thought is... it would be fun. And when I'm in the moment with people, and mm-hmm. topics naturally arise, it's fine. So it's not the mm-hmm. geeking out part that's causing me stress. It's the fact that I now have to, like... Think of all the things that I love and like pick one or, or two and which do I pick now? And like, I, I just get tend to overanalyze things like this. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, it's the same whenever I have to pick a favorite of something. I'm always like, I think about it too much. I think it's funny that you say you now have to do this when I wrote all my notes two weeks ago. Well, because I know my problem is overanalyze overanalyzing things i was Ah. like if i like i just made a big list of of topics and then i was like i'm just gonna pick whatever feels natural on that day okay i gotcha i gotcha um so this week we are just nerding out about things that we like that aren't star trek related um i made a passing sort of try to make mine kind of feminist slanted because i think that that is a theme of our podcast Mm -hmm. but again the the first thing that i'm going to talk about is kind of something that i like despite feminism because it needs some work and that is video games which uh i have talked about some on the show and i know i've played some sci-fi games so sometimes i bring them up in comparison with star trek Mm -hmm. um But I'm going to just go over sort of a little bit of history here and a little bit of my personal history and then hopefully sort of bring it around to why I love them and why I think people should give them a try, even if they haven't, even if what they've heard about video games doesn't really appeal to them, I suppose, because Mm -hmm. they really didn't appeal to me for um, a long time in my youth and I didn't understand why my sister loved them so much. Um, but then, well, we'll get there. So, Jen, what do you think the first video game ever was? Like Pong would be? Incorrect. Okay. That is, um, a lot of people think that. Mm-hmm. But, and there is some debate um, about what exactly the first video game was because if it needed an electronic screen and blah, 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 blah. But the first, mm-hmm. like, interactive two humans uh, can play or a human can play against a computer. I forget which thing um, was called Tennis for Two. Uh, it was created by William Higginbotham in 1958. Wow. And it technically didn't use like a like a digital screen. So there's debate about that one. Mm. Um, okay. Then the first sort of playable on different computers like not i created this and run it on this thing and that's it but the first one that could be installed on different machines and played was called space war Mm -hmm. and that was in 1962 
And then the first commercially available game was called Computer Space, and that was based on Space War, and that was released in 1971. And it was by two people whose names I didn't write down, but they ended up being the founders of Atari. Oh, cool. Who then decided that, like, video game consoles were the way to go and created Pong and, you know, and all that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was a brief glimpse into the massive amount of research I did. (laughs) If you find any of that interesting or really like the movie War Games, I actually recommend looking into the history of video games because you can really see how that influenced um, some of the things that happened in War Games. And I found it really interesting. But we're going to go into my own personal history with video games, which was, I don't know, we had an NES when I was like five, and I played a lot of Mario Brothers. Yes. Um, we had Super Mario Brothers 1 and Super Mario Brothers 3. You missed out on number two? Now, let me, we did not have two. Some mm-hmm. friends of ours did. And whenever we were at their house, I was like, leave me alone. I'm playing Super Mario Brothers 2 because that was the only one that you could play as a girl. Right. Yes. You, and I, you know what? It w- it was. I remember really enjoying Super Mario Brothers 2. And I hadn't mm-hmm. really looked back at it that way. But it could very well be just the simple fact that you could play as Peach. And that gave, you know, little Jen that bit more of access to it. I remember that so clearly. I was like, everybody out of my way. I can play a video game as a girl. (laughs) I don't care if I'm talking to any of you. Mm -hmm. Which should have alerted my parents into what type of teenager I was going to be. But (laughs) apparently it didn't. (laughs) Um, I have no idea what happened to our NES. It did not make it to to the house we moved to after that, Mm -hmm. that house. So I have no idea what happened. That's so sad. Yeah. And I then, have no idea where mine is, but my husband still has... My husband's family is a video game family, so the yeah. consoles are all accounted for. I do have an NES Mini now, which has Super Mario Bros. 2 on it, so happy ending. Yay! I don't want to go into it too, but Super Mario Bros. 2 has a really interesting history also. If you wanted to look into that, there's some really interesting stuff, because it's not technically a mario brothers game i don't want to get into it but it, it it's really interesting there's a reason that's the only one you can play as peach right yeah um so yeah. years and years later my mm-hmm. sister bought a playstation and i played some racing games on it or something and i was like eh this is boring and i really was not interested in it at all until megan took it on vacation with us up to um, a cottage that we used to go to in mm-hmm. southern Ontario, mm-hmm. where it was just like me and my mom, my sister, and a lake for a week. So, and she was playing it one night, and she was playing a game called Legend of Dragoon, which is a fantasy RPG, meaning it is a video game with plot, and <laughs> it and it had, um, what is the word? Sorry, it had a like a strategy battle, uh, a turn-based battle. Like a turn-based battle. Like, yeah, there we go. Instead mm-hmm. of a hack and slash, and I'm, to this day, I'm, I prefer a strategy battle to a hack and slash situation or a turn-based, mm-hmm. even though I've, some of my favorite games are more of a hack and slash style. Mm-hmm. But, um, and that really interested me because I wasn't a big, I didn't like having to remember moves 
and all that stuff. Combos and yeah, yeah. I didn't like. I, that. I hate that part too. I button combos that you have to memorize. Uh, I will always just get them by luck, not by actually being exactly. skilled at that. Yeah, exactly. So I liked how this one was more like, when do you attack? When do you heal? When do you do this? When do you do this? What characters are good at this? And making the best party suited to each situation and remembering to level up the characters that you don't ever use just in case. Mm -hmm. And I liked the story and it was good. And this opened up this whole new world to me because mm -hmm. video games... They're not just because they're longer than a movie or a book and they're so much more immersive. And sometimes by the end, you've spent hundreds of hours with these characters mm -hmm. and you are attached. Yes. So Legend of Dragoon led me to Final Fantasy, which ruined me forever. <laughs> For other games. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Like, I will play a Final Fantasy game, no matter what. It could be the worst ever. If it mm -hmm. has if it has that Final Fantasy at the top of it, I'll be like, oh, I'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. To be fair, Squaresoft made some really good games before they became Square, and then Square Enix is what they are now. But mm -hmm. let's not get into that and my eternal disappointment in modern Final Fantasy games. It's fine. Um, so what I really loved, I guess, about Final Fantasy games is the same thing that everybody loves about a lot of stories. You always start off with some young, plucky characters going on a random mission, and then suddenly you're saving the world. You know? Yeah. And they tried to mix them all up. Um, you can play some of my favorites, which are, well, Final Fantasy IX is one of my favorites, and you can play that on uh, PlayStation 4 now. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of fun playing high-def old versions of games so that you can really see those pixels. <laughs> uh, you can also play 7. They haven't released 8. 8 has... A lot of people don't like 8. I loved 8. It has a really in-depth battle system that took me like 4 playthroughs to understand completely. Now, I and can't then, remember. Is, mm -hmm. is 7 the one with uh... Uh, Sephiroth? Yeah. Seven is okay. the one that every nerd boy will tell you is his favorite game ever. Yes. Yeah. And to be fair, it did really change up how RPGs were done. Like it... Mm -hmm. And it, it... At the time, it really was sort of the peak of the technology available. Yes. And showed it, other studios what they could do. It was important as a game. Yeah. Um... um my favorite character dies. <laughs> so <laughs> I was never that into it. Right. Um, she's, she's very fridged. She's very fridged. I think uh, I recall that. I, I, have a, I have a horrible memory for remembering plots of things. So I can replay video games and it's like new every time. Um, I have not played Final Fantasy VII. But okay. I have watched someone else play through all of Final Fantasy VII because what you said about the story and the character and everything like that is 100% mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. And I've played some early Final Fantasy games, and one mm -hmm. of them, my sister watched most of the way through it, and she would get annoyed with me sometimes if, you know, I'd, I'd played through some of the game, or and if she knew I was playing the game, she would come and watch, and the, mu the music was soothing, and it just had this very... Mm -hmm hypnotic effect so i i know i have seen final fantasy 7 i know it's important and uh 
they but are, yeah. They're currently remaking it, like, so it's going to be, yes. like, the same story, but brand new. And despite myself, I'm excited to play it, which I'm disappointed in myself about, but it's fine. A slightly tangential question to this. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the Final Fantasy movies? Uh, There's uh, three now that are easily available here. I've definitely... Oh, yes, yes, no, sorry, yes, of course I have. I was like, so seen- um, I've seen two, what are you talking about? But no, yeah, I've seen three. So you've seen Advent Children, and you've seen Spirits Within, Advent and Children. you've seen Kingslave? Yep. I saw Spirits okay. Within. <laughs> I saw that in theaters, my friend. So did I. <laughs> and yeah, I- that was so bad. Oh, we should rewatch it. Do an episode on it. I'm intrigued. I remember enjoying it. I remember not enjoying it, <laughs> but that's me. Um, so most of these games that I'm going to mention, I probably played twice, like one right after the other. Or most of my, by this point, I've played like seven times um, because I would always rush through my first playthrough for the story and literally get to that final boss fight and barely survive it because I needed to see the ending. And then I'd play it again right away and do everything, do like my completionist playthrough, and mm-hmm. get to that final boss fight and kill him in two hits. Mm. So that's another thing about Final Fantasies. They always have secret bosses that are designed to be impossible to beat, while the final boss is designed to be beatable so that you can get to the end of the story. So right. there's there's different things for different folks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I, So then Final Fantasy X happened, uh, which was the first one on the PS2, mm-hmm. and the graphics were, like, life-changing to me. And it had kind of a sad ending, but then it was the first one to have a direct sequel, and the right. direct sequel starred the main girl from Final Fantasy X, and you got to play as a girl, and your entire party was women. And the game is kind of silly, but mm-hmm. I loved it because, A, I got to play as a girl. Your entire mm-hmm. party are also girls. And there is a plot, and it is a, the plot itself is kind of serious. But a lot of it, you're just, like, going around adventuring with your friends. And I guess the ending of Final Fantasy X kind of really changed the world it took place in. So a mm-hmm. lot of the plot of Ten Two is people figuring out this new world and where they fit in. So it's just really you and your group of friends having mm-hmm. a good time and like seeing this new world and enjoying it. And I really love it. A lot of people hate it and I can see why, but I don't care. I love it. I love it a lot. And I loved getting to, that was the, probably the first RPG I played or I got to play as a girl. That's cool. Yeah. And then there are other ones that I'm skipping over. Like um, mm-hmm. Xenogears was, well, the first half was fabulous and the second half was, uh, I don't want to get into that. And then it's sort of spiritual successor of Xenosaga. And then the Grandia games are amazing. And the Mana games, really good. Anyways, RPGs. Sorry, are those all different RPGs? Or are those all Final Fantasy? No, those are completely different. Uh, okay, okay. That's what I thought. All, but uh... They might all be Squaresoft. But they are not Final Fantasies. Okay. So then uh, we moved here. And here being BC, here being BC. Yeah, sorry, I grew up in Ontario, and I, I didn't so much stop playing as I just sort of stopped discovering new games and just played Final Fantasies, which I mean, twelve was okay. Mm-hmm. 
The battle system was great. The plot was stupid. I played a lot of it, though, because the battle system was so good. But, like, the person you play as didn't have anything to do with the story and was useless. And anyways, whatever. 13 was really bad. I mean, you did get to play as a girl, and that was nice. But it was still really bad. <laughs> um, and then eventually, a friend of mine introduced me to a little game called Dragon Age Origins. Oh, okay. And in that game, you get to choose if you want to be a male or a female. So, of course, I chose to be female. You get to design your own character. You get to romance whoever you want. Or not, if you want. I mean, with limitations, but because, like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, because of orientation, I guess. And it was so good. I've played Dragon Age Origins, like, five times. And maybe I make mostly the same decisions every time, even though you can mix it up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I just love that game so much. Yeah, was that the first major one that let people pick their gender and let it be open-ended in that choosing those romances and things like that? Was that the first big one, I think? Um, You know, I don't know. Because I don't okay. know... What is the name of that other company? I can't think of it. But the people who make Skyrim and Fallout, that you can choose your gender in also. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have less plot, so I don't I don't personally like them as much. Or they're they're not designed in a way that the plot is important, I should say. They're more sandbox world wandering yeah. games. Okay. And I don't mind an open world game, but I'd like there to mm-hmm. be a good plot that I can follow. And um the most recent Dragon Age, Dragon Age Inquisition, really gives you that. You have a big open world mm-hmm. and a good plot to follow also. Cool. Um, and I do like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, not that the game's not perfect, but it has its thing. And then I loved the Dragon Age series so much. Oh, I should mention Dragon Age 2. Um, a lot of people hate. It, I think it was the only one directed by a woman. And she basically had to disappear off the internet. And right. possibly her job because of men attacking her. And it is a very different game than the first and the third one. Mm-hmm. I still really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And in that one, um, they just decided to make everybody bisexual. So you can literally romance whoever you want. In the third one, uh, the characters all have, like, or the romanceable characters all have very specific personalities and orientations. And, and it, that I actually think is even better because it fits the characters in a way. Mm-hmm. I talk about the romance a lot because, let's be serious, that's the best part of those games. <laughs> it certainly helped bring them into uh, wider media attention. Yeah. I know. I think the. So after I was done Dragon Age. I hate shooters. I hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted more, so I played Mass Effect. Right. And the shooting, I was like, eh, whatever. But mm-hmm. the story and the characters... and So Mass Effect is a trilogy, and you're, you play mm-hmm. the same character in all three games. Yes. Which I'd never had before. And you have the same supporting cast, more or less. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. And when you get to Mass Effect 3... I, ugh, there's so many, it's just so good, the writing is so good, and so many people hate Mass Effect 3, but they're wrong, it's so good. 
I, it's, I don't care. Anyways, I cried a lot. I cried a lot in Mass Effect 3. When you're with the character that long, and then you see all your friends and having their their goals and their stories come to fruition and everything, and it is it is emotional. Yes. <sighs> yeah, I don't think I've ever cried during a video game like I did during Mass Effect 3. Because it wasn't just some tears at the end. It was, like, throughout the whole thing. It was bad. And then once I played one shooter, I was like, well, I guess I'll play Uncharted. And those are very cinematic. And then mm -hmm. I played a game called Witcher 3, which is probably the best RPG in existence. It is terribly sexist and really not great. <laughs> okay. But in that, you just kind of have to embrace it and be like, yeah, I'm going to get all the sex scenes. I'm just going to sleep with everyone. Okay. You just have to embrace that you can go and pay for sex. It's fine. <clears throat> so it's very, very problematic. It's very problematic, but it's such a good game. Okay. Which which can happen. I mean, yeah. Like, having a favorite thing be problematic is not a horrible, like, end game scenario. It's how can we make this, all these good qualities just be less problematic? Yeah. In, in future and like, you know. I will say it's not my favorite. I just think it's, mm -hmm. I just generally think it's one of the best RPGs ever made. Um, really? There's a lot of Is it moral decisions in it. Okay. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, it just, from the title, it mm -hmm. leads me to think that it's going to be like one of those um, like horror jump scare movie no. type ones. No. no. Okay. There is some scary shit. Um, okay. So it's made by a company called CD Projekt Red, and they are, mm -hmm. shoot, Polish? Okay. Something like that. Some European. Um, and they're based on a series of books written by a, a Polish writer. Oh, shit. Okay. I think Polish. And it's, you play as Geralt, He's who is mm -hmm. a witcher, who mm -hmm. um, witchers take contracts to hunt down monsters that have been bothering people. Monsters and ghosts and that sort of thing. So I like main, that premise. Yeah, the main story of the game is that you and your you uh, being Geralt and your mm -hmm. sometime girlfriend, uh, Yennefer, are trying to track down a girl that you basically raised, who's basically your daughter, mm -hmm. and you're looking for her. And sometimes you get to play as her. And Siri is my favorite and is. Super badass, and I love whenever I got to play as her. It was a lot of fun. And I really wish they would do a sequel where I got to play as her, but I have my doubts that that's ever going to happen. Right. Um, but while you're sort of doing the main plot, it's a big open world. It's a huge open world. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of side quests. So and a lot of time in open world, side quests are like, go and bring me ten of these things. And then right. you go and you get ten of those things, and you bring them, and you get some XP or some money or whatever. Mm -hmm. In Witcher, sometimes you're just walking down the road, you talk to somebody, and then suddenly you're having to make this moral decision that could kill off an entire town, which could affect the entire game. And you're like, this is just some dude I found on the side of the road. What the fuck? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a really... The, all the side quests... Like, I remember this one where I was just like, okay, I'll go kill the werewolf. And then you have to use the mm -hmm. different game mechanics which are all very good to track down who the werewolf is and where or where the werewolf was killing and then through that you find out who the werewolf is 
and why and how it killed this person that it killed and why the mm-hmm. person who hired you wants you to find the werewolf and what's going on, all these things. And at the end, you have to be like, all right, so I can kill the werewolf, which will also kill this dude, or I can let the werewolf live, or I can kill this lady because she's kind of a bitch and blah, blah. And you have to, you have to make these moral decisions. And this right. has nothing to do with the plot. And I'm just like, I don't know. Nothing seems like the right choice. Right. So it's actually a really, really good game in that cool. it, it makes you think about things. But again, super sexist mm-hmm. and problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I also just want to end off my listing of video games that I love here with Horizon Zero Dawn, which is a game that came out about this time last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of a post-apocalyptic dinosaur robots. You're a badass lady with a bow and arrow. And uh, you're trying to figure out why all the dinosaur robots are going crazy and killing people and that sort of thing. And you, you have a bow and arrow against dinosaur robots? It's fabulous. <sighs> okay. So, what I love about this game, though, is that it is the mm-hmm. most feminist video game I've ever played in my life. And, like, it's really? got a great story. It's got a great battle system. It The graphics are amazing. And it's so feminist. Um, the main girl, her name is Aloy. And there are so many times throughout the game where, like, a guy will hit on her and she will literally just roll her eyes. And be like, no, I don't care. This is not what we're doing here. <laughs> and it's so good. And there's even... Uh, when you're sort of discovering what happened in the past to lead to the destruction of the entire world. I don't want to get into any plot here, but there's a really uh, significant bit where basically everything got screwed up because some dude decided he was smarter than the smartest person on the planet who was a woman. Right. Uh, And the whole time I was watching that scene, I was just like, oh, you're a fucking asshole. (laughs) I was just so (laughs) upset. Like... Oh. There's just been this article going around about um, men and women in STEM. I haven't read the article. I've just seen people commenting right. on it. Yes, no, and I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That exact It is that, that exact one where thing. men overestimate their intelligence yep, in exactly. these situations. Exactly. Yep. And it was, oh, it was it was just a really good game. And I felt just so really good playing it. Um, I know that there are a lot of other games that are more, uh, like like visual novels that you can find mm-hmm. that are also very feminist. I just haven't played any of them. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's necessarily the most feminist game ever. It's just uh, the most feminist that I've played. Gotcha. So this has been my enthusiastic rant about all the video <laughs> games that I love. I left out a lot, just so everybody knows. I didn't even go into Persona, which is super problematic, but also super fabulous. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage everybody to play games and that there's no problem with playing on easy some of these games have story mode which basically means you have little to no battle and you just get the story and if that's what you want that's great too and don't let any nerd boys make you feel bad about that because gatekeeping is bullshit yes absolutely agree on that that was awesome okay great and i have to say too just I don't have that much history with video games like Kate does for a few different reasons. Um, not that I don't 
want to, but just the timing in my life hasn't been right for me to get a lot of video games in. But there's this huge myth that like video games are a boy thing because they started out as a boy thing. But one of the reasons that my husband is such a big video gamer is because when they got their video game systems in their household, his mom fell in love with them and they gamed together mm-hmm. like throughout his entire life. And mostly she's cut back now because she's got eyesight problems. But even like five years ago, we would sometimes come over and she'd be like, oh, I just, after dinner, did you want to just like come downstairs and help me with this boss battle? Because I've gotten to this point and that was always, it's so cute. And like, yeah, and she's always, we're trying to find for a while, like good video games that would appeal to her and things like that. Because she doesn't always know what's coming out and she has the same kind of plot memory like I do. So she just plays the same games over and over again. And uh, yeah, so complete myth that they started out as a a male-dominated interest thing. There was plenty of women playing back when video game consoles came out. Um, And yeah. And you mentioned like watching people play video games and I've done that too Mm. because I got Mm. uh, a friend of mine into video games and so I sort of watched her play uh, Final Fantasy eight and nine and ten and ten two and Kingdom Hearts and all, oh god I didn't get into Kingdom Kingdom Hearts is a whole other thing and yeah. a lot of that and like I would sort of be like her walkthrough you know I'd be like you got to go here and do this and blah, blah blah and I would or I would look up any information and she would play and then if we were ever level grinding we would share. And I remember right, once yeah. I accidentally killed us like five times because I kept forgetting to save. It was a whole big thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I've oh, that's I mostly just, been my oh go ahead I just wanted to finish that up with saying sorry I keep interrupting mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. some RPGs can be very singular but you can make it like a group thing if or a two person thing at least if you want to mm-hmm. that's right and a lot of my more adult video game experience like my child video game experience was mostly like the Mario Brothers and those common ones um, we never got Zelda because friends of ours got Zelda and their cartridge had a glitch on it that you couldn't get past a certain early point. But of course Mm -hmm. you never knew that back then. So they just thought the game was like super incredibly hard and none of us could ever get past it. So my parents wouldn't buy that for us. Interesting. And my parents were never like into video games, but then when I grew up and met someone who was super into video games, that's when I started playing Final Fantasies and some handheld Zelda stuff and watching him play through a lot and I would help him level up and do all of those sorts of things and play together and and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so I love them a lot. They're awesome. So what are you nerding out about? Okay, so I decided to nerd out about... Um, I've decided to nerd out about tabletop RPGs. Fabulous. Yes. And in part, this is in response to um, a question Matthew sent on Twitter, Matthew Vos, because he said he'd be interested to hear about things I've discovered since having children, stuff for children, things about having children, general change of tastes over the years. And I could go into many, many avenues with that, but I thought I would start with tabletop RPGs. Yes. So, I have not been into tabletop RPGs for a super long time. Again, because I find it's an area that is has a lot of gatekeeping to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
I didn't know many people in high school when a lot of other people were learning RPGs to play with. It wasn't sort of what my friends were into. And I'd heard of it in high school, but like I only knew one other person who was really interested who would talk to me about it. Mm -hmm. And she was also a girl who was trying to figure it out. And she was more into um, the miniature figures. She was artistic as well. So um, we didn't really have enough resources between us to get together after school and try figuring things out. So it never really went anywhere. And then got into it later on and for years had a steady gaming group. And I'm happy to say that unlike a lot of women who have gotten into gaming, um, 98% of the game, the guys that I have gamed with have been like really awesome guys. Like, that's great. Actually awesome. And, and very supportive of me being at the gaming table, really appreciating and like listening to me. Um, I mean, they still do the thing where they talk over you, but it was never like a malicious thing. It's just that they have been, they're so in the habit of talking over women that they talk over women all the time <laughs> without even realizing it. That's And yeah. Great. It's a thing. You guys have to like actively work against it, I think. Um, and so, where am I going to go with this? Unlike Kate, I have not researched today. I'm just picking something off the fly. So, this is against our our normal. I was just going to say it, dynamic. It's nice to to reverse it every now and then. That's right. That's right. Uh, so we were doing regular gaming, and of course, um, me and my husband were actually hosting it when we had kids. So at first, not a lot of things changed when you have kids and you do tabletop RPGs. Um, You know, babies when they're infants are really, you know, not that hard to work with around the table. And when you have a good group of supportive guys there who understand that, you know, kids need to eat, so you need to feed them, no problem. And a lot of the guys that were at my gaming table um, were parents already. So they totally got the baby stages. They knew all that kind of thing and had no problem working around it. Mm -hmm. Um, As my kid got older, I kind of had to step away from the game table more just because um, my kid happened to be a night owl. So wasn't going to naturally be into a deep sleep at the time that we were gaming. So uh, it was more of a handful. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of as we've been stepping back from it. And that's where we've been over the last few years. And I won't get too much into all the other parenting reasons why that happened. But the other thing I wanted to talk about what's awesome with tabletop RPGs has to do with um, kids in general. And specifically, um, working with kids who have special needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, My oldest son is autistic. um, And one of the things that is that I've read some articles about haven't had much of a chance to implement with him yet just because he's only now getting the attention span where some of these games can really work. Mm-hmm. Um, but tabletop RPGs are fabulous for learning social interactions in general. Um, they're fabulous games for giving you like a tiny microcosm of the world and there are concrete rules to follow. And even though like in the real world, that's not how we learn our social interactions, 
there are actually like rules that govern our social interactions. Mm -hmm. And so they found that kids who are autistic often gravitate towards the games because there are rules that are laid out that they can learn and follow very easily. And they're actually really beneficial for them in general, because even just the social interaction of people actually sitting down at a tabletop RPG, um, it gives you something focused to talk about. There are rules for interactions. There are There's a turn-taking aspect mm-hmm. um, that gives them lots of practice reading when appropriate breaks in conversations happen or gives them practice um, just doing the same things over and over again in the same group of people. Um, it's also one of the issues with a lot of, with some autistic people is making eye contact can be very uncomfortable for them. But when you have a focused group activity like that, you're all looking at the table or at your rule books or doing things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a much more comfortable social setting for a lot of people who are autistic. Um, and then like you ask anybody with a gaming group when it's a good gaming group and you build a lot of really close friendships through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my gaming friends that I that have stuck with us through these years, like we are closely bonded because when you go to a gaming group and you fight together to save the world or even just loot this dungeon, you are actively doing something together and meeting a goal together. And that provides this really close bond yeah. and you get all these good stories to tell that are like inside jokes. And so for people who have trouble making other um, social bonds, getting them involved into a gaming scene can be a really good way for them to make some really good friendships. I agree. So, so for me personally, when I was a gamer and then I was stepping back from gaming and then always wanting to be interested in the gaming scene. As I thought more about it, and as I kept discovering articles about why games were good for kids with autism and things like that, it's made me just like more excited and more passionate about tabletop gaming in general. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much looking forward to introducing that to my kids and to my kids' friends. Because the other cool thing that we're discovering is that not a lot of other parents know about how to play these games. And so this also, when kids start getting interested in it, it gives us something to share with a group of kids. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. And like right now, the big thing, of course, is Pokemon, which I'm also super into. And don't get me wrong, like the the collectible card games are also really good for those back and forth interactions and learning the rhythms of conversation and learning rules, which you can then help kids who have trouble picking up on the rules of um, social interactions in real world Mm -hmm. situations. You can use the game framework to help them generalize it to their other settings. So right now we're looking forward to when enough of the kids in my kids' class can read well enough, then we're going to be like, okay, we're going to pick a day and we're going to have a Pokemon card game party. And we're going to have the decks set out and we're going to like teach the kids how to actually play the game because all the kids are into it. They collect the cards or I should say not all the kids, but a lot of the kids are into it. Mm-hmm. But unless your parents are a gamer and they can go into a game store and be like, so how do we get started? What are the things we need? Oh, we need the deck set. Yeah. Oh, because this is the only place where they actually explain the rules. So you have to buy that. You can't just buy boosters and have 
an expectation that people will know how to play and things like that. So we are fully versed in the Pokemon card game rules and we're looking forward to like teaching the kids. So it's more than just them trading cards back and forth and saying, hey, I've got this cool guy, I've got this cool guy. But right. they can actually then play the game properly mm-hmm. and and have some of those more complex interactions. And then later on, introducing those kids who are into gaming, it can be like, okay, well, here's this uh, kid-friendly mouse guard RPG. Oh, that's Why don't so we give this fun. a try? I love oh, Mouse I Guard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've got the graphic novels too. Oh, so um, good. Yeah. That's fabulous. Um, I was going to add that because you mentioned like making good friends when you play an mm-hmm. RPG. Uh, the group mm-hmm. that I currently play with, when we started, I didn't know them that well. And mm-hmm. when we first started playing, we all created characters that were fun but kind of low-key i guess Mm -hmm. um we've Mm -hmm. relatively recently kind of restarted with new characters Mm -hmm. and you can tell that all of us are so much more comfortable with each other and so much more into it because we've all made like like we all have really interesting characters now that all have very specific voices and needs and wants and we've right you know learned how to work together and and like i'm kind of awkward a lot around people especially when i'm first getting to know them and i was not good at the whole acting thing and this is another thing about rpgs like if you don't want to do the role playing you can rely on the dice and if you don't want to do the dice you can rely on the role playing and if you Mm -hmm. have a good uh dm they can make that work for multiple different people you know what i mean yeah and it's really good but um yeah I was just going to expand on that. Like, uh, the other cool thing is that it lets you, because it can be dice-based, so mm-hmm. if you're not good at social interactions, it gives you a chance to try out a social interaction without you specifically having to succeed at it. So you can still get success at something yeah, without necessarily it being due to your skills. Yeah, um, It can help build confidence in that way. And, like, there's just a lot of opportunity to, like, draw analogies and generalize, even just with something like, oh, you're going to build a character. Um, You know, let's think about, you know, what choices you're going to make and how that's going to make your character better at things that that are like this. And then you can generalize that to kids in general because, you know, we're all different. And it's easy for kids to get focused on comparing themselves to other kids and feeling like they're less than. But this gives you a really easy thing to say, well, like, you know, it's just everybody's different. He Mm -hmm. has different stats that start out here. You have different stats that start out here. But just like when you level up your character, if you practice these things, you're going to get better at them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just because he's starting out with better baseline stats doesn't mean that you're a failure, you know? so I like it a lot for like those conversations you can have. Um, and because it's a game and kids have fun playing it, it's a little more accessible. Yeah. I was going to mention that if like mm. RPGs are too intimidating for people, there is also co-op board games where mm-hmm. you know you work together to beat the game instead of playing against each other. Yeah. And, you know, like maybe don't start with Pandemic, but like Castle Panic is a lot of fun. Mm hmm. I haven't played that one, but 
you're basically defending a castle and a bunch of monsters are attacking it yep. and you have to kill the monsters before all the castle bits are taken away. Right. And right. it's it's fun. There's lots of opportunities. Yeah. And like if anybody out there is a parent and listening and your kid is at all interested in gaming, um I would recommend going out to your local game store or comic book shop on a weekend and talking to the staff that are there. Um, you know, all the staff who work there are passionate about games. Um, so, you know, they might ask you like, oh, what kind of things is he interested in? And they're happy to show you other similar games. They're happy to explain the rules to you, um, tell you what you need to get started. Uh, sometimes there's games going on on the weekend. You can sit down and watch. Uh, most gamers love these things that they do and are happy to share that with other people. Um, not to say that there isn't like uh, some gatekeeping aspects to it, mm -hmm. because there definitely can be. And with role-playing games, because it relies on like a dungeon master or a, a game master to sort of plan the back end of the story and the use employ the mechanics. If you get a bad one, it can be really, really bad. Um, but if you find that that's the case, if you find that you're trying this out and you're not having fun, I always like to say that it's probably just like not the right group of people. Like if you if you are really there with the right group of people and all of your expectations are lining up and you've you've got a somebody who people who are listening to you, and then it should be fun. I was also going to say um, local game stores and also maybe libraries you might want to check out because there's a chance that they maybe run a group for kids. That's a good point. I don't think any of our local libraries do. I've heard of it uh, happening in other cities. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I've also seen, uh, like, to be fair, this was experienced DMs, but I've seen people write about how they've, like, simplified this game into a game that that you can play with children and yeah. and that sort of thing. So I think you can find a lot of resources online if you were interested in doing yes. the, the, in running the games and that type of thing. I'm fairly certain I have um, I'm fairly certain there are a couple kids specific RPGs. Um, I have one that we haven't yet played with the kids, but we probably could starting really soon because they don't actually have to be literate. And it actually goes based on their drawing so this one's called my monster rpg and i think it's done by a man named john wick though i'm not a hundred percent certain on the name that mm -hmm. might just be popping into my head for other reasons um but basically the mechanics of it are that you know you kind of have to be creative and have a bit of a background in games to make it easier but your kid starts off drawing a monster and then based on the things that they've drawn you can talk about what their skills and strengths might be so if they've drawn something with like eight arms they would be more dexterous and better able to grab things or like so you think about all those things and you kind of think about how they're going to interact with the world and then they basically go and interact with the world and go on a little adventure a story making adventure that you make up and then it's basically opposed dice rolls. I think it's just D6s that they recommend mm -hmm. to see whether or not they're successful or not successful. Interesting. In the things. And so it just gets them used to 
you know, thinking about what things that they're thing can do. They don't have to read because it's just based on a drawing. And then it's just verbally going through an adventure and, and when you aren't sure they can do something, well, they roll a dice and you roll a dice and you see which number's higher. So working on early math skills and following simple rules and yeah. And then I'm pretty sure there's another one um, back when I was still more into the tabletop scene, I remember that somebody was developing an RPG kids game. Just basically like a simplified mechanics for D&D using minifigs. And uh, he had kids and he was sort of developing it as he was teaching his kids basic RPGs. And so I think that's available in the indie uh, scene for it. And then Mouse Guard is a very kid-friendly RPG as well. One that's not specifically for kids, but I think could be adapted really easily is mm-hmm. Honey Heist, um, which oh, okay. is somebody wrote it just on two pieces of paper mm-hmm. and then just made it free, available online. Mm-hmm. And basically mm-hmm. all the characters play as bears. Well, somebody's a honey badger, but okay. And you're just trying to pull off the biggest honey heist of the century. And you have yep. two stats, bear and crime. And depending on what you're doing, <laughs> you roll against those two things. You're just trying to steal some honey. And <laughs> there's there's so few rules that that one does rely a little bit more on roleplay to make it fun and funny. Right. And yep. who's ever running it has to kind of create the story a bit more. So it's maybe for some older kids. Um, right. But it's it's very, it's you know, there's not that many rules. It's all on one page. Mm-hmm. And you know yeah. they're playing as bears, so they get to be funny, and like they can get right. certain hats to to change their stats if they find mm-hmm. hats. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot of fun, and it's free and easy to learn. Very cool. So yeah, so is that the first thing that I'm choosing to geek out about? Alrighty. So my second thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So I my second thing is that I actually really wanted to talk about fandoms in general but I'm gonna do that through a very specific lens of basically how I got into being a part of fandoms and that is Buffy the Vampire Slayer so brief history of Buffy the Vampire Slayer um the movie was released in 1992 it was written by Mm -hmm. Joss Whedon and directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie Mm -hmm. sure um and I think it's Fran is a lot of the time depicted as being kind of evil in the Buffy community because everybody okay. knows that the movie wasn't Joss Whedon's vision that they sort of right. changed his script a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was reading a bit about it today and I like that a woman directed it and mm-hmm. Fran Rubel-Kazooie and her husband Kaz Kazooie, like they funded a lot of the television show and stayed out of it. You know, they were just like, here's some money. Mm-hmm. We hope we make some money. And basically gotcha. stayed out of it. So I, I was glad I kind of read that, and I like them a little bit more now. Yeah. I have not seen the movie. It's, um... it's I like it. Like, I love it, but mostly for nostalgia. I'm not... I honestly okay. can't say if it's good or bad, because I'm okay. too deep in it. You know what I mean? Right. I totally understand. So the television series premiered five years later, basically, uh, on March 10th, 1997, I was 11 years old, and I happened to mm-hmm. find it on the television that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I was hooked right away. And Mm -hmm. then a couple, I'm going to say a couple months after that, um, something really, okay, so 11-year-olds, I'm going to get a little bit personal here, are assholes. And basically all my friends dumped me. Like, they got together one day and decided they all hated me. Um, Ah. Yeah. So I kind of clung to Buffy, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It was still season one, and I remember I went away for a little bit that summer, and I made my mom record the uh, repeats that were on so that I could have them on VHS and watch them over and over and over again, which I did. Holy crap. And then a thing happened. Uh, In between season two and season three, my household got a little thing called the internet. Ooh. So this would have been 99, 98 or 99 when we got Mm -hmm. it. I honestly don't Mm -hmm. remember the exact time that we we got it. I remember the day, but like I don't remember when that was. It was very exciting for me. Mm -hmm. And... So after, like, losing that group of friends, I never really, like, I made other friends. Mm-hmm. But school, I hated a lot. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, okay, when I say Buffy the Vampire saved my life, I'm maybe not exaggerating. So okay. ooh, that's what I mean here. So when I got the internet, I immediately was like, I need to find everything. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't even remember how, because I don't think forums existed yet. It must have been like mailing lists or something, but somehow I just found groups of people who also loved Buffy as much as I did. And it was fabulous. You know, I didn't tell any of them that I was 12, obviously. Right. Obviously. Um, who knows if they knew? For Oh, Forums did spring up shortly thereafter, because I can remember sometime in that... Um, like, 98, 2000-ish era. Mm-hmm. Um, for a brief time, our family computer actually lived in my room, and I was also on forums. Ah. So, <laughs> this is, and then my mom... hated and loved that. Having it be in your room? Yeah, because A, constant access, but B, I never let anybody in my room. To this day, I don't let people in my room. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah. Well, it was mostly just, like, my sister who would have to use the computer. That would have been the worst. Aside from me? Well, okay. Well, the second worst. My dad. (laughs) I got along well with my sister. But anyways, once my mom figured out that uh, I was staying up late on the computer, she rearranged the house again so that the computer was not in my room. (laughs) See, my parents never cared when we went to sleep as long as we were quiet and in our rooms. If I were, if I was up late reading, mm-hmm. that's totally fine. My mom uh. just didn't like that. It was like the internet. It was new. She didn't know what I was doing. So, oh, thank yeah. God, my parents didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Sorry, I, I have to laugh about it because mostly I was getting into progressive religious debates with people online. So. We were very different people at this if, time. If my mom only knew that I was discussing why you can't le- read the Bible literally <laughs> at the and I was already in my upper teens at that point, so like I was, you know, heading to college, so it was <laughs> different discussions. Yes, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> but she nipped that in the bud. 
I'm still a progressive feminist mom, even though you inadvertently tried to tried stop, to stop that, that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just, I just sort of found my people online, and um, it was fabulous. And then anytime I got into something after that, I knew I could find those people online. Yes. You know, and... And I loved knowing that because to this day, I am a very private person and it takes a lot for me to open up to someone. Um, if I'm mm -hmm. talking to them directly, obviously I got a little open here, but whatever. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I mean, due to the event that I mentioned, I generally always think that people secretly hate me. Um, I assume it's due to that event. That, 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 that seems logical. That's a, yeah. But people online, they don't matter. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, when, yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Especially because, like, there are these nexus points mm -hmm. around these things, uh, fandoms. And so, like, when you seek them out, there's a certain baseline expectation that, like, I have, I am entering in a space for this interest. Mm -hmm. Therefore, everyone here, we already have something in common. Right? So that's taking that uh gatekeeping down one level yeah and i mean the fandom part aside even just the show mm -hmm. like i watched buffy over and over and over again season two mm -hmm. i recorded every single episode or season two and three i recorded and four probably i recorded mm -hmm. every single episode and 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 anytime that like i just watched them over and over and over and over and over again I right. I have a picture perfect memory of seasons one through three. I've seen them so many times, mm -hmm. um, and it, it was just such a good show, and it was exactly what I needed. There's like there's literally a scene where I, I don't want to get too into it, but like mm -hmm. there's one of the enemies has like knocked away Buffy's sword. She had a sword, and then he's mm -hmm. standing over her and is like, well. You know, that's just it then. No friends, no weapons, no hope. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what's left? And then he stabs the sword at her and she grabs it. And she says, me. Right. And hits him in the yep. face with it. And that was yep, exactly that what I needed moment. at that time. Right. Absolutely. And then... That was... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say more recently, um, since I've gotten into the Buffering podcast, which I mentioned... I found this new community around that of, of people mm -hmm. into Buffy and sort of rediscovered it and what I loved about it. And it's really interesting now to be in the community as an adult, um, especially mm -hmm. because uh, Buffering is a podcast hosted by two queer women. Um, mm -hmm. And they talk about a lot of the metaphors and the things that uh, a lot of, of queer people related to in that show about always being, you know, on the fringes of society and feeling alone and, and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. it's interesting to to examine the show with that and also talk about its problematic points, which is not something I ever would have done mm -hmm. when I was a kid. If you mentioned that it was problematic, I'd have punched you or something. I'm not a violent mm -hmm. person. I wouldn't have punched you, but I probably wouldn't have talked to you again. Um... Right. So it's just a, a good... I, I just really like the community. And, yeah. And how um, it brings people together and how it still... 
it still resonates 20 years later. Absolutely. And those, like, fandoms in general, Buffy in particular, are can be really powerful gathering points for people. Yeah. And when you have a good community brought together and you can look at the problematic elements and look at why it's important and why those stories matter to people, um, yeah, it's absolutely a lifeline for many people. Um, and so important. And sorry, I'm just thinking right now because one of the, the dilemmas I've been having is like Facebook I've always known as problematic mm-hmm. in itself. And then recently with all of the revelations about people's data being used and how basically casually it was given away and how marketing companies were able to like pinpoint so much and direct advertising through Facebook at you, mm-hmm. um, been really trying to pull back from it. But the dilemma with our society is that it's so integrated into our lives and like a lot of the things that I, a lot of the ways I interact with some of those fandoms and other like uh, narrowed interest groups Mm -hmm. are through Facebook groups. And so it's like the the dilemma is, you know, I want to pull back from Facebook, uh, but where else do you go for these things now? Like message board systems are what we did in the 90s, but now it's all online with Facebook and to some extent Twitter, but it's harder to, like, unless you follow a whole bunch of people on Twitter and start interacting personally with them, it's harder to sort of, like, get a start into that. Whereas in Facebook, you find a group, you join it, there's a whole bunch of people already talking in that space that's just about that, and so... Yeah. Yeah. It. I almost feel that now that the internet is so different, it's harder to, to find your tribe, as it were. Because mm-hmm. there isn't... Mm-hmm. You can't just Google the TV show or the movie, the book or whatever it is, or the video game, and find, you know, the forum that everybody who likes this part of it is at. Which right. was very yeah. easy back in the day. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, even now, like because there are still some forums and stuff that exist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find it's a lot harder to get like a really good, healthy balance of forum users. Yeah. Because I always find that either there's like, oh, like, and this is the problem with some Facebook groups as well. Like you join a Facebook group and there's like 3,000 members (laughs) and there's no way I'm going to keep track of all these people and it's sort of moving too fast. Or the other extreme is like, you know, you find a forum and there's like, you know, one post every 23 days. Yeah. Because there's so few people going to check and reading and updating. What I so loved about active forums when they were a big thing, I guess, is that even if there were 3,000 members or whatever, there was, mm-hmm. you know, different subjects and different, you know, sub-subjects or whatever, and you would sort of find your mm-hmm. group within it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you use Reddit at all, Kate? I don't, because... Yeah. It's too much for me. And also, I well, I, just... I don't need more friends. I'm good. I have a lot. <laughs> no more, thank you. <laughs> yes, you do have a lot of I, friends. I sprung oh back from, from the, the sadness and of how, my youth. Yeah, folks. <laughs> I don't... I'm actively trying not to make new friends, and it's actually not working out that well for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm having the opposite problem of like trying to make new friends and uh, it's challenging. Uh, you're coming at it from a different point of view than me. You're not, I mean, like, if somebody's all want to mm. do something or want to chat, I'm like, yeah, I have four days off a week. I'm free. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Whilst you don't have that. No. No. Anyways, yeah. I, I don't understand. Like, I mentioned earlier that I'm awkward with people. I am. I don't understand how I'm so good at making friends. <laughs> It just happens. It's you're lovely, and I I do still just, secretly believe that they all hate me. <laughs> that was part of my anxiety in picking things to talk about, Kate, because it's like I'm going to talk about something and people are going to realize oh, she's so boring, or like, yeah. Oh no, anyway. I loved your thing. That was really good. Yeah. Um, just as a cap off on my Buffy thing mm -hmm. about uh, one of the reasons that it resonates so well with me and with others. Um, on mm -hmm. its 20th anniversary, the two women who run Buffering uh, did, like, a, a special episode just to talk about it. And mm -hmm. uh, one of them is a, a songwriter, which is why there's so many songs in the show. And she wrote, like, a special anniversary song. And uh, sort mm -hmm. of about the show, but also about why it resonates so well with people. And mm -hmm. I was gonna, maybe I'll put in a bit of the song. I'll put in a bit of the chorus here. Um, you can hear it. And I do really uh, recommend checking out their podcast and even more so checking out the community around that podcast if you're into Buffy at all. It's it's really good. Demons to fight Wrong against right For the rest of my life You have battles to win out and within for as long as you will nice I've, I know so many people into buffering the podcast mm -hmm. I've seen references to the music I've, I think that I've even seen links to the music but it's like I feel like I was I critically missed that window to be super into Buffy um, I just think it came out like I really would have uh, resonated with a lot of the same things you did. Mm -hmm. um, not having quite the same experience, but a similar enough experience in high school. Um, it was just, I think it was the timing of the show and my life events didn't quite match up that way. Mm -hmm. And I was pulling back from a lot of TV during that time. So I don't know that I would have... It just didn't line up. And I feel kind of sad about that because it feels like it could have been like a really positive influence for me. But I'm just slightly out of sync with all the Buffy fandom. Okay. So I guess it's my turn to share one of my other things to geek out about. Last thing. Last thing, yes. And I thought that I would pick something um, a little bit unusual. Because um, I have very broad interests and in things that I like to geek out about. Um, it's probably not something anybody else who listens to this is a big fan of. Um, but it hey, has... You're underestimating I'm, our listeners. I may be underestimating our listeners. Somebody out there may also enjoy this um, and geek out about it. And But it has been in the news lately... So I thought since some people may have been seeing it 
in their news feed that this would be a good time to bring it up. I was going to wait for another time, but I will bring it up now. So, mm-hmm. the one of the other things that I am rather geeky about is sumo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I occasionally tweet about it. Um, I'm not as active following sumo as I have been in the past for a couple of reasons. Um, but let's start out with how I got interested in sumo. Mm-hmm. So... Back before kids, and this again, this is another thing that started before kids, uh, my husband and I traveled to Japan twice, and on the first trip, uh, we were trying to figure out different things to do, and it just so happened that we would be in Japan at the same time as one of their sumo tournaments, and in the same city. And so I thought, oh, that would just kind of be like a fun thing to do. And I looked it all up online and it was like, yep, you can get tickets the day of. It's kind of for the nosebleed section. You have to kind of, it recommended in the articles to go early Mm -hmm. to get tickets because they do sell out sometimes. And we've learned that it's a lot more nuanced than that um, as to how quickly the tickets get sold. It depends largely on which city you're in and... um, sumo fandom has kind of died down recently and become less popular so the bonus is it's easier to get tickets um so we went that day that we planned to go to the tournament we went super early we've made our way there using public transit in tokyo and went and bought our tickets and sat down and proceeded to watch our first ever sumo tournament so The way sumo works is they have a tournament every other month. The tournament lasts two weeks. And every wrestler that's in the tournament wrestles every day. Unless there's injuries or withdrawals and things like that. Mm -hmm. They keep an overall sumo ranking. So your win and loss record is continually updating where you are in the ranking position. Mm -hmm. If you're injured or withdraw you are going to be losing your ranking position because they don't, like, pause you or anything like that. Right. Um, so those are some important things to know. And then even though the the big exciting matches, they happen at the end of the day, but there is, like, a solid eight hours of sumo every day of the tournament. The beginning of it is just all of the really um, young wrestlers, the new wrestlers, um, the ones who are really far down in the ranks. Mm-hmm. So on that first on that day, we went and we we sat there, and we thought we might like be there for a couple of hours, but we were fascinated by it, and we sat there the entire day. Nice, we were there, and um, we went down to the concession for lunchtime, and they sell sumo wrestler themed bento boxes themed after some of the popular wrestlers. And my husband's memory is way better than mine, so he'd be able to tell you which boxes we got and like what kind of things were in them and things like that. And they and unlike sporting events here, I have to say, the markup is not as bad on the food there. And they have lots of options and there's yeah, it's very reasonable to do that. Um, so we spent the whole day there. We ate a bunch of the bento boxes and I can't remember if we bought any of the merch, but they have merchandise stuff set up so you can buy some of it. And, um, 
on our third trip to Japan, we actually did go and planned a chunk of our trip to watch the sumo tournament, partly because my son was one years old then, and he mm -hmm. came with us. And we didn't want, like, our first two trips to Japan, we always go for about three weeks. And on our first two trips, we traveled a lot. Um, like, we had our JR pass, we would go to here for a couple days, then we'd hop on a train and check out there for a couple days, we'd go back over here and, like, zigzag just wherever we wanted to go, wherever we felt like going. We didn't have a strict itinerary for most of it. We mm -hmm. would just sort of pop around here and there. Um, so when we went with our kid, we had to do it in a little bit different manner because you can't just always cram into whatever hotel is available. Like, we wanted a little more certainty and um, we didn't want to have, like, he can't sit still for a long train ride like we can, right? So right. we had to sort of plan it out a little bit more. And since we were even bigger sumo fans by that time, we planned to go to one of the other tournaments that's in a smaller city. And it was a November tournament. And it was further south in Japan, so it was much more pleasant weather. And my son was very active. So he mostly walked around the sumo uh, arena. Like mm -hmm. we would take him up and down the aisles and up and down the stairs and through the back hallways. And uh, occasionally we would be seated next to people and a lot of seniors go to sumo. And mm -hmm. so of course there'd be these senior Japanese folks and there'd be these foreigners coming in and my son was very blonde. And so of course they were like, oh, he's so cute, so cute. And they would like, buy him cookies they would uh, be like can we hold him and he would go over and sit with them for a little while until he realized that these are not his parents and then he would come back over to us um but he got lots of attention there one of the um workers at the sumo uh stadium because we went for multiple days like for that tournament we saw like i can't remember how many in total but we bought a lot of tickets we even upgraded to box seats a couple times nice that are closer down now with a child there you're actually not permitted to buy ringside seats okay. like there's an area on the floor right mm -hmm. around the um the the doyo the the mm -hmm. ring where they're very expensive tickets but you could get um a sumo wrestler landing on you so oh children are not permitted. That's right then. So we couldn't buy those seats, but we did get ones that were sort of closer up where you actually get to sit on little cushions and mm -hmm. there's like a little box thing around you and you sit down there. And and uh, so the staff got to know us because of course we stood out. Yeah. And unlike most tourists who like come for a, like one day, like we had on the previous trip, mm -hmm. we were there like multiple times. So one of the people who worked there, one of the ushers and who works in the back, he actually made my son this little sumo wrestler Christmas ornament. That's so cute. And he gave it to us one of the days and it was so sweet. And it's, so it's, we have that wrapped up like, and we put it out on our Christmas tree and it's just adorable. So, um, so yeah, now some of the reasons I guess that we found it so fascinating, I'll get a bit more into like that end of things. That's sort of personally how we became interested in sumo. Oh, mm -hmm. and for a long time, uh, the Sumo Association had an internet feed that was, they would just show the um, upper division bouts. Mm -hmm. So like basically somewhere in the sumo stadium, they would set up a camera on a tripod and just yeah. like 
flick it on. Yeah. And there'd be a guy there just making sure that it didn't get knocked over or turned off. And that's the extent of what you got was just like a single focused camera view, but it would be broadcast live over the internet. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, we would host sumo parties. And again, even with our child being young, this was no problem because, like I said, he was a night owl. So he was often awake at, you know, between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. So it was easy for us to just, like, flick on the internet and, like, tune into the live feed and see the matches and see who was winning and all that kind of stuff. And um, then we started hosting sumo parties. So we'd have a bunch of people over and we would make Japanese food or people would buy Japanese food and we would buy sake and the people who enjoyed sake would drink sake and we would sit there and watch the feed and uh one of our friends was really really good at some of the sumo commentary and sometimes (laughs) we would try and like as though we were the sumo commentators and uh we would watch it and try and like bet on who was going to win and things like that and we would typically only do that for like the opening weekend or the final weekend Right. I think sometimes we managed both um, when we were able to plan more, more social activities. But yeah, so there's a number of our friends here um, who got quite into sumo along with us, which was fun. So yeah, so what else do I want to tell you about it? Hmm. Let me think. What are the rules? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Um, so the basic rules of sumo are that the two wrestlers go into the, uh, into the ring the the doyo Mm -hmm. and um it's a sacred space sumo is very much part of the shinto tradition Mm -hmm. i haven't studied it uh very much but a lot of the rituals surrounding sumo have to do with uh purification uh it's all about chasing bad spirits away so uh at the end of the night there's always Uh, a certain ritual that the top sumo wrestlers will do Mm -hmm. basically to stamp away the bad spirits for all of the losing matches. Um, And the rules of it are the two wrestlers come in, there's a set of parallel lines in the middle of the ring where they have to set up and they have to basically put their hands knuckles down onto that spot. And when Mm -hmm. they both are set up that way, that's when they're ready to start the match and they have to try and push each other out of the ring um, or make them touch the ring with any part that is not their feet. Okay. So you either have to, like, knock them over or push them out of the ring. There's actually an entire, like, dictionary of all the different techniques that can be used to win, and one of the ref's jobs... Because uh, there's a referee there, and he wears this ceremonial garb and holds a special fan. And he also, like, helps the wrestlers know when it's time to line up for the bout. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of his jobs is to name the technique that was used to win and who won. Okay. And then there's a group of um, five judges who also sit around the ring in certain places. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they're, they were sumo wrestlers before, but they're part of the sumo association. And if the referee who's in the ring maybe makes a mistake, um, because sumo can move quite quickly, and the sumo wrestlers are moving around the ring, and the referee's moving around the ring, so it's very easy for him to be, like, maybe not positioned exactly square to the players when the person gets pushed out. 
sometimes another body part can touch that he couldn't see, things like that. Mm -hmm. So something like that happens. Any of the judges around the ring can call what's uh, for what's called a monoi, wherein all the judges get up and they meet in the middle of the ring and they discuss what was seen. And they can either reverse the referee's call, which mm -hmm. the referees do not want to happen. There's also a hierarchy of referees. So until someone above you either dies or retires, you don't get to move up. Oh. And um, the high-ranking referees are the ones who officiate the high-ranking matches of wrestlers. Right. So yeah, so they call them on OE and they can either overturn the referee's call mm -hmm. or they can call for a rematch. Okay. So sometimes, like, if they can't agree on, on what happened first, you know, this foot went out or this body part touched here, um, they can say, okay, okay, we'll just have them do another match. Right. So, so yeah, there's the basics. There's certain moves that are not allowed. Um, you're not allowed to strike with a closed fist. But there's lots of, like, sort of um, open-handed pushing and things mm -hmm. like that that goes on. And... It can get quite brutal. Um, you're not allowed to, like, uh, do kicks. Um, okay. You're not allowed to pull hair. Because, uh, of course, sumo wrestlers have a top knot. Right. So you're not allowed to, like, grab on that and, and yank by that. Um, the thing that they wear is called a mawashi. Mm -hmm. The colors that they choose have significance. And usually only the top wrestlers get to choose their colors. Hmm. And occasionally they can cause a little bit of controversy with oh. choosing an unusual color. Oh. Yeah. Now, the reason that the sumo has made the news lately that some people may have read about it is that the most recent tournament, one of the mayors that was there presenting awards... Um, ended up having a medical emergency when he was standing on the doyo reading a speech and he collapsed. Oh. And in the audience right at the front, there was a doctor mm -hmm. who was a woman and she rushed up onto the doyo to perform CPR. Now, right. women are not permitted on the doyo because of, of the Shinto traditions. Mm -hmm. And... She was ordered off the doyo, like, by the loudspeaker. Like, it was like, you know, and and the judges that were there were like, you have to get off, you have to get off. And so it caused, caused a little bit of controversy. And this is not the first time the issue has come up. Um, because at another one of the... Um, they also sometimes do, like, basically uh, PR uh, demonstration stuff in different towns. Mm -hmm. in the off-season between the two tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I know that at one time they were set up and the mayor of that town where they went to was a woman. And usually, like, they do speeches and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you go up onto the doyo because that's the center of the stadium and they have mics there and you do your speech. But they had to build this, like, platform thing over top of the doyo because of this deeply held belief that a woman on the doyo will... Uh, break the purity of it and so there's a little bit of talk about it um my husband actually goes onto forums and discusses sumo with other for like fans and uh now the sumo association has apologized to the woman um who was ordered off the doyo uh it's also my husband also said that currently the 
the highest figure in the Shinto uh, priesthood. I don't, I'm not quite sure what they're called. Pardon mm-hmm. my ignorance. I didn't research this before the show. Um, but he said that the highest person is a woman right now. And okay. then the other complicating factors is I believe the latest mayor of Tokyo is a woman as well. So we will see how they handle it. Um, whether now the the mayor of Tokyo could also just assign those duties to somebody in her office. Um, but I would I would like personally, I would like to see Japan become more progressive. Um, and I think that the mayor of Tokyo would be a good person to challenge the status quo a little bit and perhaps point out that these purity laws were perhaps based on a time when we knew less about um, men and women and that they are more superstitious than is perhaps necessary. So that's my personal thing, but it's also like I can't comment too much because the Shinto tradition is not my tradition. And I'm very much like an outsider to it. And I want to be respectful of Shinto beliefs as well. Mm -hmm. So a few other things that people have probably um, seen happen in if they've seen any little bits of sumo that have to do with the Shinto traditions of of purity is in the upper matches, the sumo wrestlers will throw salt. Um, Right. So when they get onto the ring, there's quite an elaborate bit of ritual that takes place. Um, the wrestlers will come up. There's a salt bucket. They get to scoop up handfuls and they toss it into the ring. And different sumo wrestlers are known for their style of how they do it. Oh, no, sorry. Salt, rice. Rice. They toss rice. Um, okay. And... Yeah, so different sumo wrestlers are known for their style. They'll also, like, slap their belly and the belt of their mawashi Mm -hmm. as they do it. Um, There's, like, a water bucket where they'll get to, like, take a sip of water and then a spitting bucket where they get to spit it out. They have these cloths that are, like, their specific ones. And there are little... There are... um, other members of the sumo association who like take care of the ring and sweep around it and they are the ones who like hold the salt bucket and they bring the person's special cloth and they rub their face and their their underarms and stuff like that with it mm-hmm. to wipe their sweat off and you really really hope that the sumo wrestler does it in that order where their face first and then their underarms <laughs> otherwise it's some of them don't it's kind of nasty um And so some of them do these like big elaborate like belly slaps and then they toss the rice way up in the air and to get the fan reaction and get the crowds going. And then they kind of like approach the center of the ring and then they turn around and they go and do it again. And there's this big like sort of flair of their personality there. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, the referee will be like, okay, now it's when you got to line up. And then they have to square up. And as soon as the wrestlers both have their hands down, then they explode at each other and just try and push each other out of the ring. And it can be quite exciting when you see good sumo happen. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes matches last a long time. Sometimes they're over really quickly. And yeah. And then for the upper level matches, they also can get corporate sponsors for each match. Okay. So the... Sumo Association people, again, will walk around the ring before each match holding these little flags 
that and each flag represents a certain monetary value. So sometimes companies will have like a whole bunch of flags. Sometimes they'll just be one. And then whoever wins that match, the judge hands them a stack of envelopes that represents their winnings. So the wrestler actually gets that as a benefit. Sometimes it's cash. Sometimes it can be like the equivalent of that in goods. Right. And uh, so it can be quite... And and the upper level matches, there can be like two thick stacks of envelopes at stake for each night uh, because they will put their um, sponsorship on certain matches of the night. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it can get quite exciting to see who wins. And uh, one of the other fun traditions is uh, the top sumo wrestlers have the Mm -hmm. title of Yokozuna. And if you are a certain level below the Yokozuna and you win against him, in a lot of the stadiums, people throw their seat cushions into the ring. Okay. Which is kind of fun. Because it's, it's a big upset. The Yokozuna should not have lost that. So it's a huge coup for the, the lower-ranked wrestler. And basically, as a Yokozuna, you have to keep your winning record up a certain amount. And when you start losing, you retire. Oh. Like, you don't drop down to a lower rank once you reach Yokozuna. Right. You work your way up. And once you're done, you're, you retire. And... Um, They've had some, I think they, there might be a Yokozuna retiring, mostly because of some scandal. I'm not up on who the, exactly the current top ones are, Um, but one of the current Yokozuna, his name is Hakuo. He's actually Mongolian, not Japanese. And, oh, and there's actually quite a number of foreign sumo wrestlers as well. They're not all Japanese. Um, But he has been Yokozuna the entire time we've been following, and he has one of the longest records for being yokozuna he is an amazing wrestler and yeah that's what i know nothing about sumo so this was fun for me yeah learning and the thing we did on our second trip when we had our son with us mm-hmm. so basically we realized that he was not gonna sit still all day and just watch right like he wanted to so they had um when you go there, you get a, a sheet of paper that gives you all the standings for the matches. And so I said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do a betting pool. So we're going to make our picks at, for the top ranks. And whoever wins that day does not have to take care of the kid during the upper matches the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so we basically got to take turns that way. And then sometimes like we each had our favorite wrestlers. Um, uh, like, my husband's favorite wrestler was Ikioyi at the time. My favorite wrestler was Chiyotairu. Um, and so we would sometimes make sure that we got back, like, we would take over kid duties while that other wrestler was fighting so that we could really focus on the match and see it because it's a very short window of time to see it. Right. And then the other thing we started doing each day, which was tons of fun, was because our son wanted to wander around anyways, we would scan the stadium mm-hmm. and we would look for the other obvious foreigners. Mm-hmm. And we would go over to them and be like, hi, we're adopting you today and we're going to teach you about sumo. 
And then we would sit with them and we would explain everything that's happening. Okay, well here the team, like the the wrestlers from the East are walking in and they're doing their little opening ritual. And oh, you see the ceremonial mawashi they're wearing? Those can be worth like $10,000. And they're gonna walk around the ring and they're gonna do their little ritual stamping. And now the ones from the West are gonna come out. And oh, you see that guy there? He's actually from Bulgaria. And uh, they just had their first Egyptian sumo wrestler retire, actually. Interesting. Um, which was, yeah, very interesting. He actually wrestled even through, like, um, Ramadan mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. Like, he did not, because he's an athlete, um, the, the rules surrounding it don't require athletes to fast. But he oh, okay. actually did keep up that um, tradition while doing his sumo. He fasted and sumoed at the same time? Yes, he did. Jeez. Yes. Yeah, so it was super fun to go around and adopt these other people and just be like, so we're going to tell you about this and blah, blah, blah. And, and we met a whole bunch of different people. Like we met one day, there was a whole group of people that were there. They had taken a bus trip up from one of the naval bases. Mm-hmm. So we got to, to chat with them and meet them. And another time it was like, oftentimes there's um, people who are teaching English in Japan, mm-hmm. arrange an outing as well. So we met a bunch of people who were teaching English, and um, yeah, it was it was just tons of fun to go around and be like, descend on these people and be like, "Hey, I'm Jen. This is my husband, and we're gonna now teach you about sumo and point out who all the people were and what all, what it all means and all that kind of stuff." That is fun. Yeah, yeah, and like sometimes we would talk to other Japanese fans as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like sometimes there would be people there, and and we would know enough Japanese to be like to know that like they didn't know quite what was going on either. And between our broken Japanese and their broken English, we would at least be able to point out like who the current wrestlers were, because mm-hmm. um, we would recognize them. And then every once in a while, we'd be seated near some retired. Um, Japanese sumo fans mm-hmm. uh, who take their drinking very seriously and mm-hmm. they would proceed to get extremely drunk and uh, share their booze with us sometimes. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, it was lots of fun. So That does sound fun. Yeah. Thank you for teaching me about sumo. Oh, you're very welcome. And maybe one day because... Uh, they're piloting. One of the reasons I haven't been following it much lately is because they stopped their internet stream, mm-hmm. and they have an app, and it's like it works a little bit different now. And uh, my kids aren't awake between ten p.m. and two a.m. anymore, which makes it harder for me to be awake during those times. Right. Um, but they did do a trial stream from one of the tournaments where they even had some English announcers on. Um, oh, that's cool. At- and there's a whole YouTube community as well of people who show like sumo highlights and will discuss it and like tell you a bit about what's going on. And so, you know, like, oh, he's injured and blah, blah, blah. And this is what's happening here. And here's it been his track record. So you can get a little bit more commentary on it mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so there might be some more sumo in the future. And maybe one day, if the stars align, we will invite you over for one of the sumo. Oh, my God. To your to- house? Yes. I know, you can see my house. I don't know if I believe you that it exists. It's a little bit of a myth for you, huh? Yeah. I might just be in some cardboard box out in the suburbs. I'd have to go way out to the middle of nowhere. 
You would, you would. And it would probably be very problematic if it was at the actual sumo times because you can't get home from 2 a.m. at <laughs> no, my, no, my house. I can't. <laughs> but yeah, so that was me ge- getting very geeky about sumo, which also has its problematic aspects. And one of the things that came up when my husband and I were discussing the issue with the doctor and things like that was that one of their most stable fan bases mm-hmm. is actually young women in Japan. They, uh, It's funny because they're the Japanese crowds. It's very different sporting. Well, it's not a sport. It's a cultural practice. And that's important in Japan for funding issues and other um, bureaucratic issues. Right. But like when we went there, one of the things that shocked us most was that like there's like a couple security guards but you can stand like right next to the hallway where the sumo wrestlers like walk in to the thing like you could you're just standing right there and they're walking right past fans who are like sitting on the floor or like right at the edge of the seats and people could totally be like reaching out and touching them and things like that and that's what would happen like that's what you see at hockey games at football games is you know people Japanese people are just sitting there politely or like smiling and taking pictures and that's it. And there's no huge like cheering. Like there's a cheer at the end of the thing, mm-hmm. but there's no like big roar of the crowd as people walk in, there's clapping. And sometimes you'll hear usually women fans yelling out the sumo wrestler's name. Okay. So I'm trying to think of what the wrestler's name was, but the first tournament we went to, mm-hmm. he was like, known for his charisma gotcha. and every time he he came out or like all throughout the day we would just hear women calling out his name um and it was quite funny to us at the time and but yeah so that's all the the crowd reaction you get um and i think if they did get a little more with the times it would help encourage that fan base because sumo is declining in its popularity among japanese mm-hmm and partly because even Japanese people um, don't know what's going on. Like, they don't know the import of it. They don't know the tradition of it. So they'll go to the games mm-hmm. or they'll go to a tournament and they won't quite know what's happening. And it makes it hard to get people interested and excited about it. Interesting. So, Yeah. I mean, we came home and researched the hell out of it because we had so much fun. Right. And then kept watching it and did more research and got involved in forums and, uh, you know, kept learning more about it. Right. So that's why we're, we know so much about it. So, yeah, I hope they do get more progressive. I have nothing to add on this. I feel like with all the other ones, people have had things to add, (laughs) but, you know, or we've had things to add to each other's. Yeah, uh, uh, nerd outs, but I know nothing about <laughs> That's sumo. Okay. That's and, okay, and I probably know even less about Japanese culture. So you you have asked some very good questions. Oh, good. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that's been me nerding out about sumo. It was good. I I am interested now. Cool. That's my plan. Because if we get more foreign interest in it, then they will bring back some better streaming for us. Right. So, do you have anything else? Or do you want to move on to some of our listeners' nerd outs? 
Yeah, let's let's hear some of our listeners' nerd outs because our listeners are awesome. They are, and have some very interesting nerdy things that they do. So, well, I was just gonna say. So, I asked people today, or I mm-hmm. said, you know, we're recording this, and asked them to mention some things that they like to nerd out of it. And mm-hmm. Anya said mostly just Buffy. So, mm-hmm. I um I just raised my fist in like a. <laughs> solidarity solidarity uh obviously nobody could see that (laughs) then she said also board games yes yeah i feel like there's a lot of board gamers out there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i do love them and i might nerd out about them in the future we will have more nerd out episodes i mean i've had fun doing this one oh yes this one's been fun was the stress too much for you i was a little nervous at the beginning um especially because then i went and picked a topic where I feel like I was, you know, I could have been better prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, a little more organized. Uh, so I apologize if that was a bit too rambly for some people's tastes. Um, but no, it was good. Do you want to read some of the... I don't have it open here oh, okay. in front of me. So then, gotcha. So then mm-hmm. Rachel said books, Doctor Who, Marvel movies, Harry Potter. Those are all good. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be super into Doctor Who, but then Stephen Moffat ruined it for me. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Matthew, Matthew Vos says, mm-hmm. Discworld, like every English nerd I've ever met is into Discworld. <laughs> My husband's a Discworld fan. You know, if you'd asked me, I would have guessed yes. He just he has that <laughs> quality. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Rugby, I've tried. Uh, I've tried but- too. I couldn't get into them. Yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time in England and I get English humor, but I was just like, eh, I don't care. I'm I'm hopeful for the adaptation they're doing because I think they're doing like a series or a movie or I don't know, something's going on. Uh, the BBC um, has done some. Oh, have they? Yeah, but uh, I, I haven't seen any of them. I probably should give it a go because... I feel like that would be more accessible to me than reading through the books. Yeah. Um, he also mentioned rugby... Baking. I'm, I'm into baking. That's a good one. You are, yeah. Uh, video games. That took me a minute because he spelled it weird. <laughs> Vigi games. Uh, DC Comics. And CD releases by the band Terror Vision. <laughs> Which is not something I've heard of, but might look into <laughs> now. Yeah, not familiar with that one. And then he just sort of said, plus most of the same stuff you're all, you're all into. Like, uh, yep. He knows us so well, apparently. <laughs> I may have thrown him a curveball with sumo, though. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's what that's what folks are into. Yeah, that's a good. Stuff. I'm sure there's more. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm I'm sure they have more to themselves than just these two things that they mentioned to us. Yeah. People yes, are usually yes. a little more complicated. And I'm sure there's more fans who will chime in on it. Oh, that's true. Because you know we're recording this the same morning that we tweeted for. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So. <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, if, uh, let us know if you liked this weird episode that we did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want us to expand on any nerdy things that, you know, we're interested in, then, you know, send us a little shout out. Um, cause I love having focus and knowing that people are interested in my things before I pick them. Mm-hmm. It saves me a little anxiety if I'm like, somebody asked to hear more about this thing I have geeky feelings about then I know that at least one person is enjoying it. Yep, yep. Uh, so feel free to do that. 
before we get into our sign off, um, we're mm-hmm. not going to do recommendations this week because this is basically an episode of recommendations. But yes. I just wanted to quickly mention I saw the movie Love Simon last week and it was amazing and you should all go see it. Cool. Uh, we didn't even have any really good discovery news this week. I haven't. Nothing has jumped out at me from the headlines. Um, I guess we should just do the outro then. Yep. Okay. So thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us. We have email, a command of her own at gmail.com. We have Twitter at command of her own, and we have Instagram which is instagram.com slash a command of her own. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes, as that is helpful for getting more people to listen to us. Although now might not be the best time for them to listen to us for Star Trek Discovery News. Um, But if they want to hear our random hiatus episodes, that's cool too. And I guess I've been Jen. And I've been Caitlin. Yeah, so bye. Bye. My file is two hours and 22 minutes.